G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be talking through some issues around unity and how we unify when we are so divided. I mean, these are testing times, are they not? For Australia and for the world. And here we are in an election year. The controversies and the debate, well, typically it polarises the nation. In other Western nations, including nations like the US, divisions between left and right, well, as you'll know, over the past few years, they became so severe, some were even predicting civil war. So whether it is a nation facing off against nation, like Russia and Ukraine, division in communities, churches or workplaces, what we think about a definition of unity may be one of the most important issues for our future. On the sporting field, we love the competition between nations, between states, between clubs, but our division usually stays on the field. We're going to talk about unity today and our special guest, Christina Dean, who leads Uniforte, specialising in business and organisational change management. Christina is a trainer, a coach and mentor whose experience of God in business has been part of her inspiration to succeed. And Christina, I might say a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been, it was lovely last time and thank you so much for your invitation to come back this time. Well, it was lovely last time and so uh, for listeners who might remember that and uh, maybe some will, uh, the thought that we'll have a conversation that takes us where the rubber hits the road, where we all are, whether it's in business or whether it's in our families, whether it's in our church, or we can even talk about bigger issues around uh, nations and peoples, uh, those sorts of things, unity is going to be important. So if we talk about unity and what that means, as a Christian believer, it's going to mean something a little different to what others might think about unity. But for you, Christina, what does it mean when we talk about what unity is uh, all about defining it? If we just talk about unity um, and maybe just sort of have an outline about between unity and what division is, that might kind of give us a, a balanced view of things. So unity is a state of being unified or joined together, according to the Oxford Dictionary, um, whereas division is the action of separating something out. You might have a parcel of land that you're dividing up or you have division of politics in, in Parliament, or you have, sadly, the division of assets following a failed marriage. So in some cases, division is good, and some cases, division is not good. But usually, certainly in relationships, unity is never a good, a disunity is never a good thing because it always leads to conflict. Unity is represented by the number of number one. So when a man and a woman come together, they are one, and they are one in Christ if they're married under the church. Um, whereas um, in in uh, when you have division and disagreements, you have two or more people or groups, and there typically is there's tension and there's a growing division. As you say, you know there can be civil war if the North and the South, as in America, they had a disunity on on set of values, and so there there actually was a civil war. 
Unity is a coalition of people in, in partnerships, in marriages, in unions, in affiliation. We have caucus in politics. We have teams. Whereas division is represented by disunity, disunion, disunion conflict, discord, disagreements and so on. Uh, unity is an integration or amalgamation of systems and processes. For example, if you have two organisations coming together that are merging, doing a merging process, Whereas, um, you know, and all those systems and processes and people have to be brought together. Whereas division is a breaking up process. You see organizations that are being broken up and their assets sold off. So it's terribly sad for people. Unity is a state of forming a complete harmonious whole. Uh, and in a repeated verse, for example, like if, if, uh, if you say to your wife, I love you, darling, and she hears that often enough, she gets to see the messages that you send with that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a consistent message. Whereas if you hear, if somebody says to you, criticizes you all the time, all you ever hear is how much they, they don't love you. And so those are the, really the, the best ways that I can explain of comparing and contrasting unity and discord. Undoubtedly, there'll be so many of us have our own experience of disunity and the thought that there could be a way to promote unity is actually something that's, you know, as you say, Christina, whether it's two people in a marriage or a relationship, uh, whether it's then a group of people uh, in a family. And then you've got so many who've got a blended family. You know, we've got uh, divorce has happened or someone's died and uh, there's remarriage. And so there's, you know, blended families. I know that blended families always have some issues around disunity and you've got to work particularly hard in those sorts of areas. And here we are in an election year. And interestingly, to talk about what happens in a democracy, because when there's an election called, you want everyone to get polarised and be on different teams because ultimately we're going to vote. But afterwards, we want everyone to put our hands up and say, uh, we're all one as Australians. Uh, Of course, that wasn't as easily the case in the United States with their last election. It very much was a very polarising thing and people uh, were actually at each other's throats uh, over the issues that they were talking about. We hope that we won't have that here in our own Australian election, but, but yes, all of the different levels, it affects us everywhere, unity. It certainly does. Um, and some of the enemies of unity are things like, um, we talked a little bit earlier on about uh, criticism, Criticism is one really nasty way of, of, of causing disunity in organisations. So, you know, criticism of others and, and uh, uh, um, you know, people feel they feel inferior. Um, it, it, you know, they feel abused. It is a form of abuse, really, to criticise somebody else because it says that they're not really good enough. Another enemy of unity is competitiveness and, you know, feeling that one has to win and the, therefore the other one has to lose. Um, I know of a of a of a a great friendship that is on the verge of breaking up, and they these two people they've been friends for thirty years they've been colleagues for thirty years, and uh, you know she's always had her own business in lots of ways, and and he's recently gone into business, and whereas they've always had a very good relationship with one another. Um, you know, sometimes they worked together and other times they worked for each other, et cetera, et cetera, in different scenarios, but they always worked really well together. And the one thing that always bonded them was the fact that they're both Christians. So that was something that really united them. But recently he decided to go out into business and he said, I can't talk to you about that because we're competitors now. 
And that person was really, you know, the other person was really quite cut up about that. And they said, well, why? How come all of a sudden we're competitors? Well, because, you know, it's business. And you think, well, gosh, has a 30-year friendship now got to be iced and put into the history in for the sake of a new business that's coming together. So you can see that competitiveness can really uh, be a very, very uh, uh, you know, um, disuniting force. Um, and that sort of thing happens a lot, you know, where one person thinks, oh, well, I've got different goals now, I've got different aims, et cetera, et cetera, and therefore I have to get rid of the old and I'll chuck it in and I, I won't have that ongoing relationship with that person because it's all about the money now because that's what business is, you know. At the end of the day, running a business is about earning revenue, it's about earning an income, it's about, it's about money. In some sense, everyone's rowing their own boat, uh, but do you need to have sometimes, especially when you have been friends and all of a sudden you become competitors, do you have to have some sort of a time when you can call a truce? And uh, you, in, you're not enemies, uh, you're not even competitors, uh, you can get around uh, a meal or a coffee and you can call a truce and you can resume the friendship. Is that sort of an ideal uh, in some of those circumstances? I think uh, it then comes down to compartmentalising parts of the relationship, whereas there might have been openness and freedom before. Now there are certain things that they can't discuss anymore. Oftentimes the thought that there's a, uh, and I'm talking now, Let's. there's so many different uh, areas here. Let's talk about churches, Mm. because churches can often go through a division, Mm. and uh, oftentimes I'll call it a schism. Uh, Even whole denominations can split over things, and usually it's around a doctrinal issue. Uh, The thought that disunity is actually, it's, there are dreadful consequences to disunity, so you've got to work hard at the unity. Well, very much so. In fact, um, it's interesting that you bring that up because just recently the world's three main Christian leaders issued an unprecedented joint appeal to members of their churches to listen to the cry of the earth and, um, and to back steps for, the effect, you know, for effective um, management of, of, uh, of climate change. In a joint message uh, for protection of creation, Catholic Pope Francis, who heads 1.3 billion Catholics, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who heads 200 million Orthodox Christians, and the Orthodox Ecumenical Patriarchal um, Bartholomew, who was a senior bishop of the Worldwide Anglican Communion, Communion, which has about 85 million members, asked Christians to pray that world leaders at the United Nations Climate Change Conference that they make courageous choices. And we're now seeing that leadership within the cause of Australian Christian leaders too. We're now beginning to get Australian Christian leaders. So, if those three hadn't got together, if those three had not gotten together, for the benefit of our planet, in other words, at last, at last, they're starting to see that they actually are all on the same planet, um, <laughs> and that we have one and only planet, and that it is God's creation, not you know, not just there for plundering and pillaging. Um, it's great to see that they did that because now we're beginning to see that those sorts of movements are happening throughout the world, throughout the Christian community, that they're calling for um, care and love of our planet. 
And of course, we won't turn this into a climate change conversation today, except to say, isn't it interesting? Because as soon as you mention climate change, that's a polarising thing anyway, because there are some who are on one side and there's others who are on another side. So when we draw attention to the fact that there are major Christian leaders of the biggest denominations actually agreeing on something and moving in a particular direction, uh, that doesn't mean that they'll get it all right, but there's a certain sense in which leadership is important here if you're actually moving all together in one direction. Exactly. This would be this would be one of the things that you'd be uh, strong on, Christina, the thought that there is a necessity for leaders to be able to unite even if there is apparent division. Absolutely. And that gets down to the choices that they make, and those choices are based on their values. So, you know, whereas one leader will value, well, we've, we've got to leave the world in a better place, and another leader will say, well, it's all about the money, um, those two leaders will have diff- very different paths that they go down. Um, and, and those choices really are very important. So it gets down to um, unity depends on values. You know, do you value each other? Do you value the planet you live on? Do you value relationships or do you only value um, the next great car that you can drive? Or, you know, is that great car, is that big house, etc., etc., more important than the unity of having a family where, you know, you're actually raising children and, and, and spending more time with children? We, and we make those choices all the time. But those choices can sometimes disunite our families and our relationships because people feel marginalised. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking unity today. And around the thought, how do we unify when we are so divided? Or when we do divide, that might actually be for our own strength and we can come back together on the other side of that division and be united together. And as we've been discovering, leadership is very important in that. So whether you're the leader in your own family or whether you're a leader in the workplace, you might be a leader in your entire community or in the nation listening in today. You've got all the same sorts of issues and perhaps the same principles apply. Christina, if we're talking about the family, uh, sometimes this is where our unity begins because we learn how to unify. And anyone who's raised teenagers uh, knows that you've got to go through all sorts of fiery times before you can actually get to a place where you understand and can lead through unity. If things are falling to pieces, uh, the thought, where do I start in trying to build unity afresh? How do you describe those sorts of things, perhaps in a family unit? I think it's the same in a family unit as it is with a leader in a business, as it is with a leader in the community. Um, and it, th- the main points to remember is that, uh, is that we can choose unity. Um, and even if we just think about, now, do I want to unite this relationship or do I want to blow this thing apart? Um, and even right at that particular point of time, if they decide, well, no, I think I'd like to, I'd, I think I'd like to, to make sure that this relationship stays intact, um, because the consequences are really quite dire. It doesn't matter who you are, um, whether or not you're a leader of, in a family or, or where you are. So, um, you know, we can, and once we make that decision, we can then uh, develop it. 
Um, there are there are various strategies that we can use for that. Um, and even making that decision means that we're actually admitting our need for each other by saying, well, yes, I, I do want to have this relationship. So admitting our need for each other, um, committing to each other, being committed to each other, um, not just in the fair weather, but also in the in not just in the bad in in the good times, but also in the bad time, and also in the boring times, because there are boring times. Yep. Um, respecting each other is an important thing. Supporting each other, and no matter what, you know, even if you don't necessarily agree with what the other person wants, it's it's a case of supporting one another. I remember my daughter, who uh, who wanted to get a tattoo. Now it's quite a long time ago now, but she wanted to get a tattoo, and I've been very precious about her health for a very long time. <laughs> And I groaned, groaned, you know, she could see by my face that I wasn't happy about it. She said, actually, mum, I'm not asking you to make a decision about it. I'm asking you to support me in it. Well, that shut me up, didn't it? And you know your kids are growing up when they start saying those sorts of things because uh, they weren't actually asking you permission. Mm. Uh, They were asking for your support. Mm -hmm. Um, The thought that unity is a choice. Uh, In that sense, the parent makes the choice because I'm going to be unity in unity with my teenager growing young adult because they've got their own decisions and they can make their own choices. They can even fail if they want to. There's a certain sense in which uh, the parent makes the choice to be unified. Mm -hmm. They might not agree all of the choices that their children make, but in some sense, you've got to have something higher. And uh, of course, we can talk about our faith in that, but having that higher sense of value that will unify us, even though we think differently on some issues. Exactly. I think that that's where the Lord really helps us is that, you know, he doesn't, he didn't make us all the same. He didn't make us little clones of himself. He made us uh, very individual. Your gifts and talents are very different to my gifts and talents and very different to um, uh, Michelle's gifts and talents out the front there. Um, We all have different gifts and talents and we need to recognize that those gifts and talents are all required, like the colors of a palette. They're all required to make the picture beautiful. If we just expect everybody to be exactly the same as us, well, then we've got a bit of a problem with being right. And being right is probably the first place that you need to start thinking to yourself, you know, I'm actually not always right. And, and, you know, forcing I'm right situations down other people's throats means that someone wins and someone loses. And sooner or later, people get sick of losing and they walk away, they start stepping backwards, the relationship cools off, there are reasons for that. Because one person always wants to win and the other person always gets to lose. They never get to, they, they never come together in unity. They don't treat each other with respect, you know. And as this translates into the businesses that we might be running uh, around the boardroom table, Mm -hmm. you don't want everybody who is uh, sometimes it's described as being a yes man. Mm. uh, You don't want everyone just agreeing with the chief, the chairman or the CEO because they don't want people around the table just always giving them the rubber stamp. Otherwise, you'd be like uh, like Mr. Putin is right now. Uh, no one's uh, no one's got the courage to be able to stand up because maybe they won't be there next thing tomorrow. So around the boardroom table, uh, Christina, you've got to have the differences of opinion. You've got to be able to even argue the different dimensions of which way you might move forward and then decide to move together united. Exactly. That's a, that's a challenging thing for anyone who's in business or thinking of growing their business. It is very true. Um, and in those situations, often you will have people who get very passionate about what they want and, and, you know, what they want and what they want and what they want. 
and it's very, very, uh, and I'm right environment. And, you know, I have a, a classic question which I always bring up at those times. I say, mm, excuse me, but do you need to be right or do we just need to solve the problem? You know, and <laughs> that helps people to sort of realise, oh, okay, no, we really do need to go back to solving the problem. Okay, well, let's let's work out, let's look at some options for doing that then. Um, because everybody is a little bit right and we need to get all of those uh, all of those options out on the table and then work out which ones are the best ones. Because the world is such a fast-moving, rapid place these days. I would say, Neil, that I study for at least an hour a day on how the world is changing. Otherwise, as a management consultant and a, an educator, a coach, I cannot keep up. I need to keep up for my clients. But most managers do not have the luxury of that time. They rely on me to have a lot of those answers for, the, for me to be sending them, you know, a particular material that will help them to make decisions for them to know that, for example, that next year your interest, your your insurance rates are going to go up because I just watched a I just watched a, a program um, by some international organisation telling me about the cybersecurity issues and how that's going to push up um, uh, demands on cybersecurity requirements in organisations. Well, you know. These guys, they go, wow! I never would have known about that if uh, if if that. And what's what's it likely to be? It's likely to be up to twenty five percent hike. Well, they go, well, where are we going to get that from? And how do we avoid that? And how do we, you know? So it means that this year you need to put more, a lot more money into your cybersecurity. Otherwise, your insurance rates are going to go up, go up tremendously. So it's those sorts of things. And and if uh, and if executives didn't have people who could speak to them honestly and, and remind them about those things and have the courage to be able to say, well, hmm, yes, I can see your point. However, have you considered this? Um, you know, that nobody is an island. Otherwise, we would all just have footballs for friends. So whether we're talking about leading your family or leading in your business around the boardroom table, sometimes it's good to have someone from outside come in. Sure. Perhaps to remind us of the rules. Uh, sometimes we don't always recognise that there are rules, rules in our family, rules in our business, mm-hmm. uh, rules for how we get on with each other. Mm-hmm. And the rules aren't there to stifle us. They're actually there to help us to move forwards. How do you describe the sorts of rules that you might be using in your business or in whatever organisation that also actually makes sense in our families as well? First of all, there's always the law of the land. And uh, we, we are all subject to those laws. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter if we like them or not, they are the laws. And so, you know, that's our first go-to. So as a consultant, I would always be saying to an organisation, for example, who might be undertaking change and, uh, and they don't have much of a plan for the well-being of some of their staff, I just say, so how are you going to get around that? Because it's actually a legislative piece in the workplace health and safety regulations. Uh, that you now need to consult with your staff. Oh, look, we're not going to consult with them. We'll, they'll, we'll, they'll just do what we tell them. Well, actually, that's, that's going to be an issue for you because, you know, you may find that uh, you have a lot of people who now actually do know the law and will go to either unions who will uphold that law um, or if they go and, and, um, and, and take you to court, it may very well cost you a lot more than the benefits that you get out of it from um, this piece of technology. The thing that we have almost like a superpower or an incredible advantage when we are Christian believers, is that we've got our own playbook. 
Now, the playbook is tried and true. It's been tested over thousands of years. And we know that when there is a conflict to resolve, there are principles in that playbook that help that to happen. So the Christian, we have a playbook. Uh, might be useful if we're all on the same page together, as I think you mentioned earlier in our conversation. But this is a wonderful advantage that we have as Christian believers. It certainly is. Because to begin with, we really... Um, it helps us to, as Christians, we know that we are God's children. Um, everybody is a God. We're all God's children. It's just that some of us, you know, have decided to accept Jesus Christ. And, you know, that is what leads our lives. So, you know, Jesus, as we know, we've just been through Easter and that whole uh, unity process of, of, of redemption, of reconciliation back to God, of dying to the self and uh, being resurrected as Jesus did for us, um, and we we have that continuum from the Garden of Eden through to Jesus, and you know it's up to us to make choices about that. Now, what's interesting about it is that there is one common character that's followed this whole story from the Garden of Eden all the way into our present day, who causes disunity. He comes to rob, kill, and destroy. He does not come to unify anybody. Any time that you've got a facing off in a situation, there is there is this potential for this individual to be to be interjecting to rob you of your peace of mind, rob you of your family, rob you of your health, um, to destroy everything that you've ever built and, um, and and to crush anything that's good in your life. That's his main goal. That is his main goal. And he's been he was the one who tempted um, Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, oh, you know, surely you won't die if you just have a piece of fruit of that tree, really. You know, just have a piece of fruit of that tree and it's not going to kill you. Well, it did kill us. And it, not only did it kill her, but it killed her husband because she talked him into it as well. And the whole blame game started. And from that time, you know, they were driven by shame and guilt and apathy and grief and desire and anger and pride which leads to humiliation and blame and despair and regret and anxiety and craving and hate and scorn. And that's what happens if you've got disunity happening. And if you've got that happening in your family, if you've got that happening in your business, nine times out of ten, it's probably because you're, you're, you, you are not working with God's playbook, which is about love, joy, peace, grace, goodness, kindness, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, you're dealing with somebody who has tempted you away from that playbook and now you're playing a different game. And if you're playing that game and that, and you're seeing those sorts of things happening in your organisation where there is a lot of blame and excuses going on instead of results, you've probably got a lot of disunity in your organisation. And the more that there is disunity, the more it is unlikely that the business will succeed the more it is likely that people will leave, the more that it is likely that everything will collapse around you. So, you know, deal with it. It's, you know, you've got to get back to God's playbook. If you're going to if you're going to uh, run a successful business, there are rules to doing that and it's about treating each other with respect and kindness, supporting each other, getting along with each other, being patient with each other, being honest with each other. And for leaders especially, they've got a role, a special role to play because they need to be rolling out that playbook in their organisation. They are the ones who need to be examples to other leaders and 
be able to look at themselves every morning and every night and say, well, how well did I go today? And did anybody follow me today? Or how much confusion and and chaos was in my organisation today? Because if there's confusion and chaos in your organisation, it's nobody's fault except those who are leading the organisation. I hate to tell you the truth about this, but it's actually true. You know, that's what leaders do. You have followers and you have leaders. And, you know, um, you may have leaders within the organisation who are creating a lot of chaos. Well, it's better you get rid of them. No matter how good they are at their job, better you get rid of them because, you know, they are creating too much chaos. The, the organisation cannot ever grow and be steady under those circumstances. It won't ever be strong and steady and stable. So um, good leaders are there being examples to each other and to their people. Uh, they're encouraging each other. They are teaching each other how things work. They are warning each other about uh, things that, that don't work. They are giving preference to each other. And you might say, well, giving preference to each other, doesn't that call me a wimp? You know, why would I want to... Why would I want him to succeed at my Well, actually, it's a very gracious thing to do is to allow somebody else to go through the door ahead of you or to not take credit or to allow somebody else to take credit or to share the credit rather than just mine, mine, all mine. Um, nobody is an island. Nobody got there by themselves. Um, we all need each other to get through life. And if we don't, if we don't get that, well, then it's probably going to be a fairly lonely party, success parties are probably going to be fairly isolated. Christina, if I'm leading an organisation, I might say I've got so much on my plate. The day-to-day running of this organisation, I'm working a 12-hour day as it is. And then you come along and you say, I need to understand that there is a different playbook that I need to incorporate into the way that I run my business. (laughs) And we're talking here about a Bible, uh, the biblical foundations for how this unity might, in fact, uh, begin to uh, get us, get itself established in the culture of your organisation. Some might even say, well, if I leave the Bible out, uh, I'll try and create unity in all sorts of other areas. Any thoughts here on the value of choosing the Bible to be your unifying glue between the, you know, the bricks, uh, the mortar between the bricks. Any thoughts here? Because someone someone might say, well, you know, in my organisation, we just can't have the Bible. That actually creates more problem than it's worth. <laughs> well, I'm going to have a bit of a chuckle here because you remember how I said to you earlier on that I spend at least an hour a day figuring out what's going on in the yeah, world Yeah. Um, for my clients. Well, I can tell you that... Um, that I've read many, many textbooks. I have a Master of Business Administration. I have various other qualifications in communication and counselling and, you know, three or four others. And I can tell you that at the end of the day, um, (laughs) most of the good ideas came from the Bible. John Maxwell, for example, in the United States, John Maxwell has been quoting the Bible and and doing exceeding exceedingly well with that with the most of these um, the the Fortune five hundred companies for the last fifty years. And people say to him, "Where do you get all your ideas from?" He says, "Here, this is it, just here." Yep. And they go, "Well, you know." And so, what's really interesting about it is that. Um, if I were, if somebody were to say to me, "Well, Christina, what book should I read? I need an all. I need a lot of wisdom. What book should I read first? I'd just say, "Well, go and get yourself a great copy of the Bible, and learn from that, because you know you probably won't have to buy a whole lot of other um, um, textbooks after that, because most of the good ideas are in there, and most of the books that you read these days are really just a rehash of all of that." 
Is it fair enough to say, too, that depending on your circumstance and where you might find yourself leading, whether it's in your family or whether it's in the business or whether it's in politics, you can find devotional material that bring out beautifully some of these scriptural foundations, God's playbook, and actually apply them into your circumstance. You can you can seek those out and you can find them. You can indeed. I mean, things like um, apologising to each other and forgiving each other, you might think to yourself, well, what do I do with that in a 21st century organisation? Well, if you've got a lot of conflict going on inside the organisation, the only way that you can get past that is in the old biblical references. You know, it's, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. You, you're sorry, you apologise. One person apologises and the other person says, I forgive you, and you move on. And that's what happens in families and it happens in, in, in lots of even government programs these days. I worked with a young lady some years ago and uh, she had developed the um, um, – it was the playbook. It was a playbook for the uh, youth justice uh, program. And it's about – and youth justice, this program, she actually won the Premier's Award for her work in that area. Um, and she, she designed a process whereby um, youth would get the opportunity to um, meet with their, their victims and that they would be able to talk to each other about, you know, what brought that on and what the impact of that was um, and they would be able to one be able to apologize and the other one would be able to forgive and they would move on now that's a government program and that has spread far and wide throughout a lot of different areas you know we have the principle of apologizing and forgiveness in lots of those sorts of programs we've got witness impact statements etc etc in the courts so those sorts of things we think to ourselves well it's just brand new it's actually not brand new you know it's actually goes way back to way back to the bible um if you apologize then i will forgive you and we're all square and we go back to you're living a sinless life again and it might not solve every emotion that's involved, but it's a starting point and it actually bears uh, wonderful results. Let's take a call. Leslie is in Shepparton in Victoria. Hi, Leslie. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Leslie, hi. what are your thoughts? Hi, Chris. Good morning, hi, Leslie. It's a good program now that you yes. have on 2020. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Um, Chris, yeah. Yeah, I, my marriage fell, fell, fell apart in 1987 or thereabouts. And I was a broken man back then. And, um, see, I suffered depressive illness as a child all the way through. And I was married for eight years and had four children. And it was devastating to be separated and, and divided from your children. You know, it was very difficult. And... Uh, Luckily, I had my Christian faith that has brought me through a lot of tragedy in in over the years. I've been in hospital last over Easter. I've been in hospital, and um, uh, I was able to share in the hospital with a lady next door to me this morning. I was on the radio this morning with Robbo and uh, Beck. Good. Uh, yeah, it was good. And um, just wanting to share that that how unity is very important in life because it, it, it's so important because if we get, we all work together in a team effort. When I, when I was in Queensland years ago, when I was 20, 20 or 25 or there about somewhere, uh, I was on that Queensland government rail and I was on the tram line. I've got a temporary job on the, on the tram line going from Innisfail to, Narada and out to South Johnson Mill and down to Meridian Harbour. 
And um, I knew how important it was when I was in that six-man gang. You know, there was two two gangs. There were actually 12 men. And I was a part of a six-man gang. And when we're all working together, we're working our beautiful life. It was a beautiful experience to Leslie, work Leslie, you're raising some really interesting points here. And uh, whether it was around family issues and, uh, you know, sad to reflect on your own family issues that go right back to the 1980s and the separation. But when you start to recognise that in your work team, when you're a... Uh, a gang working together, uh, if you don't work together, uh, life is hell. Uh, when you do work together, life is bliss. Uh, there's a certain sense here that sort of illustrates, doesn't it, uh, that if you want things to go well in your life, you've got to work out how you work together in a unified way. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Christina, for Leslie? Well, I think uh, what's really interesting about you, Leslie, is that you have struggled through a lot of very difficult things from the time of childhood and they've left their scars on you. And those scars have have probably given you a lot of cause for pain in your life. Um, I would would like to think that you have had some counselling around that and that you've had some good counselling, not just from psychologists, but also from your church as to how to heal from those things so that you can actually move on from that. there's, I, I understand, I understand very well. Um, and so that's the reason. It ask, can I ask you whether or not you have found forgiveness and, uh, and apologising, that, that process of apology and forgiveness, has that been helpful to you in your life? Leslie? I've actually helped a lot of people over the years, you know, and the, see, uh, in the Salvation Army, you know, I was part with the Shepherd and Salvation Army in Victoria. So my mother encouraged me to keep going to the Army, and uh, I've had a lot of lot of support there over the years, and a lot of lot of uplifting experiences too. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I went to Relationships Australia, and I went to Grow Organisation in Victoria when my marriage fell apart. So I had that experience and had all that support. And it was really good, uplifting, you know. Yeah. But I've been divorced for all that time. My wife has gone off the rails now. The, the, the boy, my boys are in North Queensland, up in the Innsfail area, and uh, my wife has gone off the rails. Oh. She's, Leslie, you know, thank mother. you so much for calling in today. Uh, great to hear your story and uh, some good things we were able to glean from that. Interestingly, sometimes uh, we're picking up the pieces at the bottom of the cliff. Mm. Uh, rather than putting up a fence at the top of the cliff. Exactly. And so the thought that prevention is better than cure mm. when it comes to some of these things, and, and before disaster strikes, whether it's broken relationship or you've got division in your business dealings, uh, no, no one's getting on together at work, uh, life is just a misery, before you get to that point, what do you do to actually work hard to make unity a really good thing here, Christina? Well, it's actually it's it's actually something that I focus on in my personal life, but I also focus on it in my business life because, um, you know, a long time ago I realised that the most vulnerable time in any person's life or in any organisation's life is when they're going through change, especially when it's not their own idea. Um, you know, we can sort of see the sorts of pain that happens when people go through unexpected change, what's happened during the floods and the devastation uh, with people and how terrible they felt. And those sorts of feelings often happen in organisations too. 
um, right around about the time that they're going to go through change. And um, and and it's the and it actually is my my frontier. That is my mountain. So what we do is that we go and help organisations to prepare for change so that they and their people can get through it successfully and get through it together and get through it in better shape than what they were when they started. And that is not an easy thing to do, but it but it is about us putting our foot where our where our, our our mouth where our where our money is really. Um, it, managing change is a very difficult thing on your own. It's even more difficult if you're leading an organisation through it. You think that everything is okay, and right when you think that everything's okay, it all falls to bits again, because change is um, change change is scary for everybody under every circumstances, and. It's it's how you manage that change that's the most important. Change should never should always be a time when you reach out to people. Um, never try to go through change on your own because it you're not thinking rationally. You're thinking emotionally, and um, because you're afraid, um, you're afraid of all sorts of bears that that might not be there. Um, and it's at those times when you are at your most vulnerable. So if you're thinking about going through change in a business context. Um, you really need to make sure that you put that fence around the top of the hill rather than have to call ambulances at the bottom of it because unless you unless you manage that change really well and I, by managing change I mean thinking about how you're going to lead it, plan it, resource it and control it before you even let anybody know that you're doing it. Um, that's that's really where to go. That's That's how you build that fence first. Nobody likes talking about the bad things that might happen, whether it's in your family or whether it's at work, in your business. Nobody likes to think about that. But here we are in a year where, you know, people are anticipating bad things could happen this year uh, economically. Uh, those things we don't often like to think about. But is there a time, do you think, whether it's around the dinner table at home or around the boardroom table in your business, where you actually identify what scenarios you might be up against so that you can take some evasive action so that you might avoid the disunity that can come that can turn your life to a misery at the drop of a hat uh, is there a time to talk about these things absolutely say for example if a young couple are thinking to themselves oh look you know let's get our let's get our kitchen done let's do that yeah, how much is that cost? oh it's going to cost about twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. okay fine so yes we can do that and we can put it on the credit card and we can do this we can do that so now they're halfway through their renovation and suddenly one of them gets the bad news that they that they that they you know they're no longer at their organization which means that suddenly the income is cut and now they've got a credit card with a half built kitchen and only half the wages and rather than do that rather than make that decision way up front where everything's on the credit card or they haven't saved enough for it it's better to think about themselves, well, okay, we know that in these days we've got redundancies, we've got businesses opening and closing all the time. Why don't we put aside, say, six months' worth of um, um, living expenses and we'll just put that over an account over here where we can always access it. If either one of us actually loses our job, at least we've got this six months' living expenses up our, up our sleeve here and that will be our safety net. So rather than always live on borrowed money, um, or live on borrowed time, it's best to think about your safety and security. Now, the sad part about it is is that if people have had a bad time in the past, especially in childhood, they often are not aware of their safety and security needs and they actually need to start to be aware of that, that I'm precious too and that I need to be looking after myself as well. 
So we hope that we can look after ourselves and when we are in unity together and if we have a certain level of humility, we might appreciate the fact that somebody else in my outfit or my family or around my boardroom table might be interested in my welfare instead of just being there a lone ranger and uh, everyone's battling for their own sense of what's in it for me. Uh, There's a certain sense working together is going to be one of those things we all need to work on, whichever organisational area we're all involved in. Time is running out. I wonder if we were coming back to just this thought of unifying. Uh, You talked about forgiveness when someone does offend you and it will happen you'll get offended by someone you've got to be able to learn how to forgive Uh, you've got to be able to be in a place where you can encourage one another and if you're all working together for the same goal that's going to be a whole lot easier to do for listeners at the end of our conversation here christina just getting a start turning over a new leaf Introducing this conversation at work later today or later this week, how are you going to do that effectively? You know, if you worked in an organisation and you can tell that there's a lot of division going on around you, which is, you know, people carping at each other, people grizzling about each other, people going, what's in it for me? And people saying, well, it's all about me and, um, and getting offended by the least little thing. Kind of got to start thinking about, well, actually, is it all about me or is it all about us? And if it's all about us, then what are we going to do about this environment that we live in? Yes, we've got beautiful offices, but really our environment, the you know, the relationships that we have with one another are just really untenable. I come to work because I want to come here and do my best, but when I get here, Miriam's always in my face about something and Jack's always on my back about something and he, he has terribly smelly feet and, I, and I'm so offended. I'm so offended. So how are we going to get past all of that? Well, actually, it's time to think about what's really important. Make some choices about what's really important about the people that you want to spend time with and the kind of relationships that you want to have because unity is about relationships first. Processes and systems and everything else follow that. But it's about the unity of people coming together first. Whether or not it's a group of people coming together to manage a change in an organisation you know, you've got the human resource people and the training people and the leadership team and the, and the this team and the IT team and, and they can all sometimes really be doing their own little thing. We, even those teams have got to come together and work together and um, to make things work. It's really all about... It's really all about customer service, internal customer service. We can never imagine to have great customer service external for external customers unless we as a team work together to look after each other inside the organisation as if we were each customers of each other. Well, Christina, wonderful insights once again today. Thank you for taking some time to share these things. And, you know, what you do is you help organisations Go through change. Uh, It's a simple way of putting it, isn't it? And you apply all of that wisdom that you've learned over so many years. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do work with organisations. If there's someone who's in an organisation right now, I think it's just bedlam when I'm at work and when we're trying to get our team together, it's just almost impossible. Uh, Calling someone like you in might be a very helpful thing. So you're a trainer, you're a coach, you're a mentor. And your organization is called Uniforte, U-N-I-F-O-R-T-E. Christina Dean leads Uniforte. There is a website. You can check out what Christina does, uniforte.com.au, uniforte.com.au. 
www.ncbc.com.au. Christina, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your wonderful insights today with us on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me. I hope I can come back again. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 